When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today I visit with newly minted podcaster Lauren Steffi, who's released a limited series entitled Putin's Oil Heist, where he talks about the theft of the Yukos Oil Company by Vladimir Putin. Lauren draws a straight line from this theft to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Before we get started, I'd like to tell you about a great new podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. You've heard of the Manning Cast. Well, now the Compliance Podcast Network has the Gallo Cast. Yes, the brothers Gallo, Nick and Gio, talking compliance. It's free form. It's a lot of fun. It's like being with the Gallo brothers at the Thanksgiving dinner table talking about compliance. Check out the Gallo Cast on the Compliance Podcast Network or wherever great podcasts are heard. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Lauren Steffi. So you've heard me describe Lauren as a business columnist. You've heard me describe Lauren as an author, and now we can describe Lauren as podcast host. (laughs) So welcome, podcast host, Lauren Steffi. Welcome back, Lauren. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. So you've got a really interesting um, limited series playing right now uh, called Putin's Oil Heist. Can you tell us the genesis of this podcast series, Lauren? Uh, This actually traces its origins back to about 2009 uh, when I was still doing my column for the Houston Chronicle. And um, I ran across a guy named Bruce Missamore, who had been the uh, chief financial officer for Yukos, which was uh, one of the largest oil companies in Russia, one of the largest oil companies in the world, actually. Um, And it, it basically got forced out of business in the early 2000s by the Russian government. And he just had this amazing story to tell. He was living in Houston. And, um, uh, you know, so he and I talked and and I did a column on him for the paper. And uh, and then, you know, we kind of stayed in touch over the years and talked about doing a book. Couldn't find any publishers that were interested in in his story. You know, who cares about Russia, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, fast forward to earlier this year uh, when when you had the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and I called Bruce to get his thoughts for a, a blog that I was writing for the Uni- University of Houston, and we decided to meet for lunch, and we started talking about the project again, and I said, well, you know, who knows how long this this Ukraine situation will go on, right? I mean, um, and I said, you know, it's going to be tough, like, if, if we want to do a book, it's going to be tough to get it out 
quickly. Um, but I said, you know, uh, what about a podcast? Cause we could tell the story in probably about six episodes and, um, you know, then kind of see where we're at. If we still want to do a book, we can do one. And if not, um, we'll have a podcast we can be proud of. So that was kind of how it all came together. So what's the overall structure of your podcast series, Lauren? Well, I really broke the story into into six parts, and and the first piece kind of sets the stage, you know, gives the background on on Bruce and how he came to work for Russia, you know, how he came to work in Russia, how he met uh, Mikhail Hartikovsky, who was the the oligarch who controlled Yukos at the time, and really sets up this idea that you know in the early two thousands. Um, Russia was really, you know, they, they sort of presented this image, at least the Kremlin presented this image that they wanted to be, you know, they wanted to open the country up to Western style capitalism. And, um, really Hartikovsky was kind of the guy that led that charge. And, um, he overreached a bit as it turned out. Um, he kind of ran afoul of Putin. Um, so the, the second episode talks about that. It talks about Hartikovsky's role, um, and his arrest, uh, by the former KGB, and then kind of uh, what what implications that has for for the company. Um, episode three is sort of how they try to recover from that, um, and then episode four we go into. Uh, Bruce actually had to flee Russia and came back to Houston and tried an elaborate scheme to put uh, Yukos into bankruptcy from here, um, and uh, ultimately had his house broken into under very mysterious circumstances, which we go into in, in episode five. And then, um, and then we kind of wrap up with kind of what happened after that and, and, and how the, how the cases got resolved. There's a lot of litigation obviously, and, and what the implications are, you know, what, what do we learn from this experience? One of the things that, that I think Bruce made the point of early on was that, you know, when Yukos went down, when it was basically seized by the government, um, the West really didn't do anything, even though there were a lot of American shareholders, you know, Western governments kind of stood by and let it happen. And in Bruce's mind, that was kind of the first case where Putin was sort of testing the West to see what they would do. And then you saw, you know, later incursions into Crimea, Georgia, and things like that, where, you know, there really wasn't much of a response. And, and you know, Bruce sort of makes the point, uh, one of our episodes is, is actually from Yukos to Ukraine, uh, because it it kind of ties the thread together that, that, you know, once Putin saw what he could get away with, he got bolder and bolder. So uh, what was, uh, or how did you find uh, Bruce's uh, participation in this podcast? Was it uh, some something that story that you both wanted to tell? Did you interview him? How did that part of your process work, Lauren? Yeah, it was it was a story he was obviously very eager to tell, and um, you know I'd, he had not really he he'd done a lot of press over the years, and and obviously a lot of radio and television interviews, so he was pretty comfortable, you know speaking. Um, and he, he's actually very articulate. Um, he, he speaks very concisely. So, you know, he's not one of these people that you have to do a lot of editing. There's not a lot of long rambling, uh, quotes or anything. Um, and so what we did was I, I put together a list of questions. I kind of had this structure in mind and then I interviewed him. Um, and, and then I, I wrote a narrative. Uh, so, so it's a, it's a pretty heavily scripted podcast. I, I kind of did it with the idea that, that, you know, 
if we're going to do a book, I wanted this to be kind of the jumping off point. And, and so, um, it's not an interview style like what we're doing now. It's much more, um, like a, a planet money or, or something like that, where there's a narrative and then Bruce's comments are sort of edited into that narrative. And that really uh, takes me to my next point, which is the storytelling style that uh, you have employed. You've uh, been a business journalist for many years. You've interviewed people. You've been a columnist or you've done your own research and, and written now, uh, written multiple books, including a book of fiction, The Big Empty. We have to give <laughs> a shout out and plug for that. Thank you. Um, how do you find the podcast format in terms for, for your own personal storytelling style? You know, that was one of the things I wanted to really test out with this because I had not done this type of podcast before. And um, I actually found it uh, really interesting, really enjoyable. I mean, it, it's not unlike writing a, a newspaper column or something where, you know, you sort of build a narrative structure and, and you have quotes that support that structure. Uh, in this case, you know, obviously the, the quotes are, are spoken. Um, and, and it was a little tricky, you know, finding just the right, um, you know, pieces of the interview to pull out in each particular spot. Um, what I basically did was put the entire interview through a, a transcription program and then use that to kind of pull out um, segments, which worked pretty well. Although it was funny when Bruce first read the script, uh, he noticed that all his stuff didn't seem to make, you know, there were words in there that didn't make sense because he's using these Russian terms, which are not getting translated. I'm like, no, no, that's just to show the editor's <laughs> what what the spaces that we're taking up here, right? Not not uh, so it was it you know it was kind of a learning experience I think for both of us, but uh, I, I think we both really enjoyed it. In terms of the overall story of Yukos, uh, one of the things I've enjoyed about visiting with you about and reading your work over the years is you really uh, can draw lines that many people don't see, and so for instance. Uh, I interviewed you about your experiences around the Oklahoma City bombing, mm -hmm. and you do that as a starting point for really a, a denigration of dialogue among people in the United States and resorting to violence when uh, their views differed. And of course, in Enron, you drew, we were able to draw uh, pretty much of a straight line from Enron to Sarbanes-Oxley to ESG today. And I was very intrigued by your thoughts around drawing a line from UCOS to Ukraine uh, because it, it struck me that uh, perhaps I didn't see the straight line. What I saw was an ad hoc approach by Putin, but he used the same style and, and same tactics over and over again, just digesting things around him or things that he wanted. But you seem to see it in a little more direct line Almost. So I was wondering if you might expand on that a little bit. Yeah, it was one of the things Bruce talked about in, in several of the episodes, even going back um, to to the early days of his experience. He had a conversation with Mikhail Hartikovsky where he said, well, hey, you know, this Putin guy seems like he's doing all the right things. He's a reformer. He's, you know, hitting all the right notes. And Hartikovsky told him, he said, you know, it may seem that way, but be careful because what he's doing is he's pushing out all the pro-democracy people in the Kremlin, all the former Yeltsin, you know, uh, officials, and the more power he he gathers, uh, the more he's going to start instituting a, a military style, you know, sort of old Soviet style. Like he's basically bringing back the old Soviet style of rule. 
And, um, and so, you know, to Bruce's mind, that was kind of like, you know, obviously Artikovsky was right about that. And, um, you know, the, what happened with the, the oil companies that were operating, particularly the oil companies who were operating in Russia, uh, really kind of shows that first step where, you know, they were sort of recreating the old Soviet um, approach and this idea that, that you were going to share your resources with foreigners, that other investors, outside investors, were going to be allowed to participate in Russia's oil wealth, that was just something that he was not going to have. And he especially did not like the idea of foreign executives uh, running or owning um, UCOS. In fact, one of the things that came up was um, UCOS was having discussions. They wanted to keep growing, and they were having discussions about merger partners. And Bruce really wanted to merge or, or to, to reach some sort of an agreement with a, a foreign oil company, probably a U.S. company, uh, because he and, and Hartikovsky did too, because they thought it would kind of shield them from the political backlash that seemed to be brewing in Russia. And unfortunately, um, there was one of the companies they were talking with was Exxon, and at some point. Um, Lee Raymond, you know, basically told Putin that that they intended to own 51% of UCOS, and that was what really set Putin off. He he turned to one of his aides and he said, Hartikovsky's lied to us again, that's it, you know, and that kind of was the beginning of the end. I'd like to uh, ask you if you could take us back to the very early part of this century. Uh, I was working in the energy industry then. I worked in Russia. I did contracts with Russian companies. We had TNKBP. We had Exxon and Rosneft. We had a variety of, if not mergers, certainly a lot of joint ventures. And I was involved in some of those from the from the legal side. But it was a time of high optimism and a lot of Westerners moving to Moscow. A lot of Westerners doing work in and around. Uh, Russia, I was wondering if if you might be able to just kind of remind us things were a little bit different in maybe the first five or seven or eight years of this century. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Soviet Union had been gone for a while. Russia had kind of, you know, gotten its footing and it really seemed to want to open up to, um, you know, to Western capitalism. And a lot of companies, a lot of U.S. companies went into Russia. They saw it as a, a really big market, a really big opportunity. And of course, for oil companies, there were just huge, huge reserves in Russia, as we now know, because they're, you know, well, they're not part of OPEC, but they're part of OPEC plus. They're very influential. They're, they're, they're basically the plus in OPEC plus, right? I mean, so they became, you know, a major producer and they, they needed American expertise to make that happen. A lot of their technology had kind of fallen behind in, in some cases. And so, um, there was a, there was a mutually beneficial, um, uh, a, a mutual benefit there to be gained between us companies and Russian companies. And yeah, you saw, you know, a lot of these guys went in, and and most of those joint ventures you talked about, um, you know, did not did not end well ultimately. As we move, uh, we're now in the recording this in June 2022. The Ukrainian war has now gone on for almost four months, and the sanctions around Russian oil and gas have had some effect, I think, uh, in reducing overall exports from Russia. It's it's driven at the price of gas. And I wanted to end maybe asking if I could uh, ask you about your $5 a gallon column <laughs> and uh, the, ma- the magic benchmark and the psychological barrier for Americans around that. Uh, what, what does all of 
maybe UCOS to Ukraine to $5 a barrel oil really mean uh, in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a really interesting point. I, I wrote this little piece about $5 gas because I kept seeing these interviews on TV where, you know, the reporters go out and interview people at the gas pumps and they talk about how expensive it is and stuff. But the question that never gets asked or answered is, at what point does it get so expensive that you actually drive less, right? Like you find a way to drive less. And obviously that answer is different for everybody, but we haven't really seen a major drop off in demand. And and it used to be economists thought, you know, $4 gasoline was was where that would happen, you know, back in the day. Uh, we're way past that. Uh, now we're, we're flirting with $5 and we still haven't really seen a big decline in demand. And so, um, you know, at the, in this era where we're supposed to be thinking about, you know, climate change and, and using less fossil fuel and all that, it doesn't really seem to be taking hold. Um, and, and so I think, you know, what we have seen is really very interesting because if you could have gone, if you could go back in time 20 years to when UCOS was happening and you talked about, you know, eliminating, uh, you know, one of the biggest oil producers from the global market, uh, you know, I, I think everybody would have thought, oh, that will, that will really hasten, you know, the, the switch to fossil or to, to renewables, you know, people will find a way to do electric cars or whatever. Um, but you know, we're not seeing that we're not seeing it technologically and we're not seeing it from more importantly, from a policy standpoint. I mean, I I know it's a lot to expect our elected officials to, you know, do anything, um, (laughs) other, other than point fingers and yell at each other. But I mean, you know, this is an opportunity where we really need some policy response to help us get through this. And, and there just isn't any, I mean, you know, uh, Biden's opened up the SPR, which, you know, has the usual effect. Of, it seems like every time a president opens the SPR, prices actually go up as opposed to down. <laughs> and that certainly happened in this case. So, um, you know, I, I think there's there. Th- this is an opportunity to kind of lay out that roadmap for how do we get from where we are to where we want to be. And, and at these prices, I think people are going to be more willing to accept that change, but we're just not seeing the sort of policy initiatives. And so, um, I guess as it ties back into the Ukraine and Russia situation, you know, it, it what it tells you is that we're vulnerable for the next time this happens. The next time there's a major supply disruption, we don't we, we haven't done anything to prepare for it. Um, and, and that should, you know, be worrisome to everybody. And that's actually the lesson I've drawn to date, uh, starting with the Ukrainian war. But now after your podcast and going back to UCOS is that we're always going to be subject and vulnerable to these disruptions and that uh, we do need some sort of national policy. I was on a couple of email threads where my friends were bitching about the price of oil, and and my response is, well, let's look at national energy policy. Oops, can't do that. <laughs> and uh, I, I absolutely agree with you that this would be the perfect time to have a debate and at least get a policy in place that we could respond to this. So, uh, well, let me end with asking uh, perhaps any any other limited series you're thinking about, if not in production. Well, um, I do have uh, one other series that is in production as we speak. Um, among the other hats that I wear, I have a little publishing company, and we're putting out a book in a few weeks uh, about baseball, actually. it's called, The book is called 
Grinders, Baseball's Intrepid Infantry, and it's about all the the kind of the guys you never hear of, right? The they're not the stars; they're just the guys who love the game and sort of find a way to keep playing. And they get kicked around from the minors to the majors and back. And um, it's kind of about that that life, that grind. And and um, it's written by a guy named Mike Caps, who's the the voice of the Round Rock Express, and um, he. Uh, he did a podcast, uh, and again, uh, I think that was an eight-episode series, uh, and I, I don't have any involvement with it other than I was a guest on episode one, um, but I am I am helping to produce it, and we'll be putting that out here in the next few weeks. So, Well, Lauren, we definitely look uh, forward to that next series, and all I can say is keep it up. Well, thank you. And I guess I guess I should say that if you want to find these podcasts, you can go to stonycreekpublishing.com slash podcasts, and they're all there. So, including Perfect. including some of the ones we've done in the past. So, <laughs> excellent, well, Lauren. Thanks again. I look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. And I hope you will take a listen to Putin's Oil Heist. It's short, succinct, direct. Uh, great writing by Lauren Steffi and Bruce Mismore adds uh, color in a way that uh, only an insider can talk about. It's available on the Compliance Podcast Network, so check it out. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Well, I am here to tell you that you can do it and post it on the Compliance Podcast Network, the only podcast network in compliance. Together with One Stone Creative, Megan Doherty and her team, we can produce your podcast for you, put it out, and you will have a voice in the greater compliance community. If you're interested, give me a shout, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.